Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us in Santon, South Africa, at the 10th BRICS Summit, held under the theme of BRICS in Africa, Collaboration for Inclusive Growth and Shared Prosperity in the Fourth Industrial Revolution, is Jamaica's Minister of Foreign Affairs and Foreign Trade, Kamina Johnson-Smith. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Good morning. Minister, by profession, you are an attorney at law with approximately 15 years at the Jamaican Bar. In 2014, you opened your own law firm after serving as company secretary and head of corporate affairs and projects of Cable and Wireless Jamaica Limited. And then in 2016, you were appointed to Minister of Foreign Affairs and Foreign Trade of Jamaica. Can you please tell us about your shift from law to politics? Well, it wasn't so much a shift as a gentle transition because the fact is that while in 2016 I was appointed minister it is in fact my third term as a senator so it has actually been an aspect of public service that I have incorporated into my life uh, since 2009. I think that the two work well together because a good understanding of legal structure and legislation how it is drafted what the problems that actually manifest in daily life when things are not clearly expressed. These are skill sets that I think help phenomenally in being a strong parliamentarian. And that dovetails into one of the questions that I'm going to ask you a little bit later in terms of the, the skill set and how that balance looks at understanding of opportunities to change legislation if need be. So staying with your, your current role as Minister of Foreign Affairs and Foreign Trade, what does your work entail and are there any specific milestones you want to achieve in this term? What's actually interesting is that I'm not only Minister of Foreign Affairs and Foreign Trade, and I will mention the first woman to hold that role in Jamaica, as this is a, a gender program, but I'm also leader of government business in the Senate. So I am charged in that role with being responsible for the government's legislative agenda, setting the ensuring that each week we pass the laws and the regulations that are uh, important to the government's priorities. In respect of foreign affairs and foreign trade, I would say uh, we have a broad range of, of uh, initiatives which we wish to undertake. But if I'd highlight three, I would say uh, the launching of our national foreign trade policy. Uh, we felt it was important to ensure that we have a renewed and modern, fit-for-purpose national trade policy and action plan. And that has just been ap uh, approved by Parliament, sorry, approved by Cabinet, and will now be tabled in Parliament in short order. So implementation of that is one of my priorities. Uh, the finalization of a national policy on our diaspora, how it is that we incorporate, engage, and empower our diaspora, as well as harness their economic and human capacity for national development. That is another uh, priority, as well as a national consular policy, which should standardize the ways in which our different missions across the world, uh, uh, how they service the needs of our nationals who live overseas and set expectations both for service delivery and for what our people can expect from our missions overseas as we are a small economy with limited resources. These are three of our priorities. 
And given all that you've said, maybe a small economy, but we're all talking on, on a global level, on a global scale, on these collaborations of populations living across the world. Absolutely. And it's, it's uh, ironic as we look at treating with our diaspora overseas. Also, we are here in South Africa uh, uh, feeling a great sense of the reality that we are also a part of Africa's diaspora and engaging here through BRICS, through ACP, as we have uh, for many years, uh, these are ways in which we strengthen that link. And we hope to strengthen those links through our bilateral discussions with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Foreign Trade and between your president and our prime minister later today. Besides your official portfolio, you also have a keen interest in governance, education, youth and gender affairs. And you have successfully tabled parliamentary motions regarding public sector governance, as well as the reintegration of teen mothers in the formal school system. And I'd like to talk a little bit about the reintegration of, of teen mothers. And I think it's such an important view that just because someone is pregnant or just because someone has had a child, it can't impinge on their life going forwards. And they shouldn't be denied these opportunities. I mean, education, world over, we hear studies from UNESCO where an additional year of schooling equates to a 10% greater yield in income. It also shows benefits in terms of um, reduction in mortality rates, looking at how women improve or uh, how they manage their fertility rates as well. Well, so could you just tell us a little bit more behind this? Sure. Uh, this is a matter on which I, I became quite passionate uh, having learned of the issue at a UNFPA conference uh, some years ago, several years ago, when I was in opposition and a spokesperson on education and youth. And it struck me that the economic cycle that we were in and that we were placing ourselves in by not treating with the issue of adolescent pregnancy was just shocking. And it appeared that we needed to change the conversation because my understanding from discussions with stakeholders in Jamaica and elsewhere was seemed to be that every time the topic came up, it became a moralistic discussion and not a discussion whether about human rights, A, or B, the economic realities of the cost to an economy of women who are unprepared for children, having too many, the, the statistic that it is quite clear that a woman whose education is, or child whose education is interrupted by pregnancy is more than likely, I think it's three times as likely, to have repeat, repeat pregnancies and to not enter the formal economy. Uh, the ramifications for that to our developing economy are exponential. And changing this conversation to one which perhaps removed some of the more sensitive and personal and subjective discussions helped to expand a broad range of persons, or include rather a broad range of persons in the discussion, and helped, I think, people to see and rally around the fact that it's a necessity. It's still a controversial issue to some extent, but we were able to ensure that there was policy change and recognition of the fact that it was in fact an important economic indicator adolescent pregnancies and that it needed to be addressed. The good thing is that Jamaica has been maybe light years ahead of some other countries by having an organization, the Women's Center Foundation of Jamaica, that had been trying to integrate young girls 
for years, that had been integrating for years, uh, and offering some remedial training to them once they had gotten pregnant. They could go to them and get support. But the issue was that they were having an uphill battle getting the girls back into school. So the issue was we needed the education system to change its policy to recognize that they had a right to their space. Because another inequality that was produced is that the boy was never excluded. It was only, you know, these are not immaculate conceptions, but the, the girl would be excluded and be seen, of course, you know, in this sort of bearing the sins of Eve uh, as if pregnancy is contagious and not looking at the realities that these are actually socioeconomic issues that have to be dealt with more holistically and educating girls is of infinite more value than punishing them. It's like being able to rationalize an argument which crosses these moral boundaries and moral boundaries can't supersede logic. No, absolutely. And sometimes it's a function of changing the conversation. Um, I think that one of the things that we as women who uh, advocate for empowerment and different rights is that we must also be careful to allow our narratives to develop and not become so rooted in a particular point of view or way of expressing that right that changing needs, changing messages, changing airs and changing persons at the table are not uh, able to be absorbed in the conversation to move more of us forward. I mentioned earlier that about your legal background and clearly it is an advantage in being able to pursue and challenge legislative changes. Now our program, Womanity, Women and Unity, as you may have gathered by the name, is all about gender equality and it's increasingly becoming a global focus. And sometimes one issue that tends to be controversial is about gender quotas in the workplace. And it's not universally accepted. Yet with interviews with, I'd say, some of the African continent's famed female leaders from former president of Liberia, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, to Dr. Nkosisana Dlamini Zuma, they argue it's a necessity to promote equality and increase the ratio of women in decision-making roles. Could you please share your perspective on legislation in terms of driving behavioral change? Right. I may not be the best person to ask because Jamaica was one of the countries. In fact, we were found by the ILO in 2015 to have per capita the largest number of women managers in the world. We are 80% of our Supreme Court judges are women. Um, 50% of our appellate court judges uh, and I think maybe 80% of our resident, resident magistrates with our, which are the local level and the largest uh, segment of the judiciary are women and these are all areas which have been predominantly uh, well dominated by men for years uh, we have tertiary institutions that are graduating an average of 64% women uh, in fact our largest university graduates 75% women and there's some who actually say that this is causing a social dissonance to uh, well it is uh, causing a socio-economic imbalance and um, some even say making it harder for women to find partners who, who they view as, um, as, as true partners in life building um, so we are looking at issues in terms of our male dropouts in school while we also look at empowerment of women. There are issues that uh, we believe 
by the way, well, let me state up front that our policy, our national um, gender equality policy, which we passed in 2011, when we also entrenched uh, freedom from discrimination on the basis of, of sex, um, that policy provides for 30% minimum of women in the Senate. Um, and it also provides for us to work towards uh, 30% otherwise on public boards, etc. In practice, we now try to get one-third in the public board sector. Most of our permanent secretaries, that is the highest administrative level in government, are women. And this has happened by continuous pro promotion or rather fundamental belief in the importance of education and the fact that our women and our girls are, are well-educated from primary all the way up and, in fact, are more likely to stay in school than boys. So there's a foundation that once that is created, uh, we feel that once there are no barriers, there is room for upliftment, and that is what has been manifesting in Jamaica. It's certainly been a positive benefit seeing this pipeline of development going through their education, opening those opportunities, and then embracing those opportunities. Now, staying with the gender agenda, building female leadership capacity is incredibly important for the future of women. And if we look at even the things that you've mentioned now, you're now seeing women occupying roles which were traditionally dominated by men. But one area is when we look at heads of state. And... To be frank, there have not been many female heads of state. Uh, Jamaica has had a female head of state, uh, Portia Simpson-Miller. Australia, Julia Gillard. In Africa, we've had Helen Johnson-Sirleaf, Joyce Banda, Malawi, Theresa May, Angela Merkel. But they're, they're literally a handful. What is your opinion of female leadership in politics? And do you think more countries are ready for a female president or prime minister? Well, I... I think that the world is ready, and not so much that the world is ready. I think the world needs more female leadership. I think the, the fact that you're able to name, <laughs> to run off a list of, of female leaders shows that there are not enough, that we are not enough. Uh, but uh, in terms of a country's readiness, that is, uh, that's sort of the crux of democracy, in that a country elects the leaders which it wants to see at the, for, at the forefront. And an important part of that process, I think, is for us as women to ensure that we are moving ourselves, empowering our sisters, opening doors as we move up and keeping them open. So when a door is open for us, we have to keep the door open and help other younger women through so that there is this pipeline because as people see as because it requires a cultural shift in many of the countries that don't have them it is because the culture needs to shift and part of that culture shift is men and women men and women seeing women as leaders so it is not um from my perspective uh, it is not something that could or should be legislated. It is something that must come through empowerment, through visibility, through good old public relations. I think that this is um, 
one of the areas where NGOs play a great role as well in advocacy and in training. Uh, one of the things, one of the programs that we have, which I think is just fantastic in Jamaica, is called the Women's Leadership Initiative and the Young Women's Leadership Initiative. So what it does is it tries to help girls from secondary level see themselves as leaders. And it encourages them, instead of running for like PR and secretary in the um, student council, which are in your class monitoring um, system, and those are, those are great and valuable positions as well. But run for president. Don't only run for vice president. Run for president. You know, don't, um, don't seek to limit yourself or to only see your male colleagues as the leaders because they see themselves that way already. Because that's how the books, the socialization, that's how it runs. We have to, therefore, implement programs like this one. So it takes um, youngsters, secondary and tertiary levels, and involves them in training and mentorship so that they see themselves as leaders. They run for the positions, which makes them more likely to get involved in politics when they leave school. And it's, that is part of the cultural shift as well. Get, getting your peers to vote for you and to select you when you're young or rather when you're still in school, and it becomes a mindset that permeates through society as, as you then graduate. And that, I think, is, is part of how we get there. Cultural shift. Everything we've spoken about today reminds me of this almost ethos of rewiring. So we've spoken about changing the the moral perspective when we're looking at issues of of teen teen pregnancies or or adolescent pregnancies and how it is always the girl's fault. We're also now looking, I think, more importantly about how we can transition cultures and for women to see that the sky is the limit. In closing conversation today, could you share a few words of wisdom to our young ladies that are are listening to us? A few words of wisdom. Believe in yourself. Work hard. Nothing substitutes for hard work. Make sure you do your research. Understand the context within within which you're operating, within which you're speaking, within which you're engaging, and ensure that you are prepared. Nothing beats preparation. Don't try to wing it because it looks cool. If you need notes, carry them. If you need to discuss before, discuss. Understand what works for you and how it is that you are your best self. At the end of the day, you can be anything you wish to be if you just work hard. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Jamaica's Minister of Foreign Affairs and Foreign Trade, Kamina Johnson-Smith.